Welcome to a quick mini-sode. Mini-sode. River Heights Radio mini-sode. River Heights Radio mini-sode, mini-sode entitled They Did You Wrong. The second we hit an Old West theme, I said to myself, I know the racism that we're going to deal with. I read the 1993 version. As did I. Tone-deaf stuff. It's not Texas West. Uh, it's Arizona. The kind of casual racism we're facing is towards Native Americans. It's mostly appropriative, but in addition, it's just the word Indian every time, which Dr- is... About everything. She admired the Indian curtains. It was a nice Indian rug. What a delicious Indian meal. It was used like she was at a theme park. Native American, First Nation, Indigenous peoples, maybe refer to somebody and like what their actual tribe is. <sighs> Any of this would be more specific and more accurate and more respectful. It's like they're trying to paint Nancy Drew was out there with the red rock and Indian furniture. I said to you, well, I also read the Little House on the Prairie series as a kid. (laughs) So, you know, I guess in the 90s it, it was a different feeling of what was acceptable and I was raised in this very racist culture. And Some of it felt so over the top though. Our dog's name is Chief. Okay, like a fight. No, it's Apache Chief. Oh, okay. Thank you. Oh, specific. I don't know if you're familiar. Apache Chief is a Hanna-Barbera cartoon character hero. Oh, is he the one that grows and shrinks? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do know him, yeah. And just basically added to like add diversity and is I think in many ways problematic anyways as a character. Well he wears a loincloth so you know. I don't know if they just named the dog after him but it seems really dumb and I don't like it. And it only comes up twice like there's no there's no need for it. It's appropriative to the point where they pick out quote-unquote squaw dresses. For you heard me yell from the other room when I read let's wear Indian costumes. Yeah. I said, no! They do that to the square dance. And supposedly everybody in the crowd was doing it. Like either sunbonnets and, and or, or pioneer pil- pil- dresses. They were, yeah, they were good enough to also have like pilgrim costumes or something. Like it's a big Thanksgiving jamboree. Yeah, but like also, <laughs> that's not how rodeos work. Right. So. And no one said it was a costume party. No one said that. No. But Bess, oh, Bess. Just exclaims, let's all buy Indian costumes. But it is. Like, they show up and that is what everyone's doing. So, I don't know if that was normal in Arizona. I doubt it. I highlighted two spots that made me shake my head. So one of them was when they talked about the houses, they had to say, oh, and here's the one where in case of Indian attack. It's very the 1776 report in the way it's framing the whole situation. But I also really... Very little house on the prairie. This is where the ancient Indians would... Yeah, while there were ancient Indians, I'm pretty sure the places that you're going to steal jewels from or whatever are not what I'd call ancient. This is a recent... This is a recent moron history. If they are ancient, maybe stay away from them. Right, right. (laughs) Like maybe they're important historically. That's supposedly said by Mary Deer. Uh, Mary Deer herself as a character is... I would say not problematic, but very one note, as many well, side characters are. She's just a person who is described as Indian, but it doesn't really come up. What bothered me the most of all was just the sheer number of times they refused to use her name. They didn't say Mary. They didn't say Mary Dear. They just kept saying the Indian girl over and over again. And if that isn't just quintessentially 90s racism America. We don't have a lot of 1930s racism. 
racism to share with our listeners today. Boy, we have some beautiful 90s. I did love when they went and they had tacos and spicy chili. It was italicized. Oh, I couldn't. The 90s were a time of booming representation for women and some other cultural minorities on television and in the media. But as we saw with the death of all black sitcoms, it was mainly exploitative to drum up lots of attention for channels that would just leave people behind the second they got a chance. I cannot currently give any sources, but that's my understanding, is that there was, in the 90s, a boom of, oh, we're feminist, we're not racist. But that doesn't mean anyone's anti-racist, actually feminist. Yeah, I think this book actually reminded me to re-examine myself. I realized in the process of trying to confront the ways that this book was racist, I don't really know a whole lot about social justice work being done for Native American Mm. indigenous tribes in the U.S. I I am aware of the issues and I thought, oh, I need to get on that. I don't know. I'm not doing anything for anybody here and and I don't even know the resources to... In the U.S., in Canada, there's genocide against Native peoples right now. The things oil pipelines are doing, there are definitely peoples in our countries who just do not have have a lot of voice to the way they're being swept under the rug. Never have. I mean, we can be woke enough to see how many times this book says Indian and be uncomfortable, but how much of us are the type of leftist or social justice people who will do something about it? And how much of us is just that desire just to not talk about it? Yeah. Like, am I uncomfortable with how much this book says Indian because it's not the thing to say and because it's not actually giving the people who are Native Americans real weight as a people? Or do I just get uncomfortable because I live on the land that was stolen and don't do anything about it. So I did a little digging around Mm -hmm. and I started with like just a basic Google search that was just like Nancy Drew, Native American treatment or Native American representation, something like that. Hoping to find like some direct article about it and I could not, but I did find out that there's an author, uh, Angeline Boulay. She is from the Ojibwe tribe and she wrote what is being called the Native American Nancy Drew. It's a book called Firekeeper's Daughter. So that might be an interesting one to check out. According to the Center on Juvenile and criminal justice, Native Americans are more likely to be killed by law enforcement than any other racial or ethnic group. Holy cow. Yeah. Is that in America or worldwide? In America. Sure. In the United States. Wow. Uh, Literally right down our street, Mm -hmm. just a few blocks, like a minute's drive, there was a pretty big tragedy. A man named Zachary Bear Hills, who was from the Lakota tribe. He, I don't think did anything worthy of arrest. Yeah, not apprehended, confronted. Yeah. And the official ruling by the coroner is that none of his resulting injuries by the police are what killed him. Mm -hmm. He did have mental health problems, Mm -hmm. which he was struggling with at the time. He had bipolar and schizophrenia. The coroner ruled it was extelerium. Yeah, but how many tasers did they hit him with? Well, and that's the thing. If you have that type of delirium a taser will not affect you. Mm -hmm. Like you have like superhuman strength. But they tasered him 12 times. Mm. They punched him in the head and they dragged him by the hair to the cop car. Zachary Hills was 29 years old. Basically what happened is there's four officers that got 
terminated. Three of the four have now been reinstated and are out there. We might see them at some point on the street. Mm-hmm. Um, or on the news. Jennifer Strudel showed up to the scene. The gas station called because he was acting funny. She determined he wasn't a threat to himself or others, so they couldn't bring him to emergency custody. She got his mom on the phone. His mom said mental issues, tried to talk to Zachary. He wasn't making much sense. He's going in and out of coherency. From what I can tell, she offered him a ride to the bus stop. She tried to put his seatbelt on and then he resisted and left the car. Mm-hmm. This is when the other cops arrived on the scene and basically saw him struggling with Jennifer Strudel. Jennifer Strudel was the officer who was supposed to be the primary officer. Mm-hmm. So that's part of why she got reprimanded and Michaela Mead did too, but they were very quickly reinstated. Ryan McClarty and Scotty Payne were supposed to be charged. Ryan McClarty did not end up getting charged and he has been reinstated. Scotty Payne was charged and Scotty Payne was found not guilty. Mm-hmm. Scotty Payne tased him 12 times and pulled him by his hair to the cop car. Uh, Ryan McClarty, who has been reinstated, punched him in the head. And all this for he had literally done nothing wrong. They they handcuffed his hands behind his back, uh, zip-tied his legs, put him stomach down on the ground. He was saying, you know, I can't breathe. Like I said, none of his injuries are what killed him, but they would not have helped his delirium, nor should he have had that treatment no matter what. Mm-hmm. One of the movements that's being fought for is that it should be illegal for the police to tase a mentally ill person. The Omaha police force had to take a two-hour class (laughs) on Native American cultural awareness. Mm. That was all the officers. They all had to do that class. Two hours to learn about Native American cultural awareness. I'm not entirely aware of all the Native American cultural nuances. Mm -hmm. Uh, As a people, do they love being tased 12 times or do they find out that that's not what you do? Right. Just the number of articles I had to read to really piece together this whole story Mm. was ridiculous. Like there would be part of a story in one article and then part of the story in a different article. So to find the details was a real hassle, even when you're looking for them. And then only one article mentioned that he was a Lakota man. Everyone else just said Native American. The state also ended up settling with Zachary Bearhill's mother for $550,000. So that's how much we can pay, I guess, for a human's life. I think 550000 is not enough to pay for a son's life but too much to pay for a police officer's safety. Yeah, that's basically what it was paid for, right? For three people to be reinstated who were continuing to pay. Mm -hmm. Doctors have to have malpractice insurance, and I think police officers uh, should have to carry personal liability insurance. Mm -hmm. I think uh, when their rates go through the roof for uh, unloading their firearms, they'll pretty quickly learn. Mm -hmm. This literally took place down our street. We drive by a billboard uh, just about every day. Justice for Zachary Bear Hills. Frank Lamere was a leader in the Democratic Party and chairman of the National Native American Caucus. Basically, he was a real civil civil rights leader. This is only a small taste of what he did within his lifetime. He mm-hmm. unfortunately died a few years ago. But he was a real activist for Native American rights. He's from the Winnebago tribe. And he said, It's hard for me to envision what Zachary Bear Hills would have been thinking in his last second seconds of life. Nobody to scream out to, 
nobody to hear him. He said, I don't think justice is served yet. I believe we're on the right track, but we've got to demand that and it shouldn't be like that. I think we're going to hear him in Omaha and across Nebraska for a long, long time. We, we should hear that and we should keep hearing that, especially with so little done to counteract that. You know, uh, the news, the Channel 6 News cited this quote also as something Lemire said, but in their own video, it is clear that a Native American woman said this. I don't know who she is. I'll tell you what, that's, yeah, that, of course. Yeah. And she said, it's 2018 and they treat us like cowboys and Indians. Mm. And that was cited as Lemaire saying that. So we also wanted to tell you guys about some sources you can go to to donate to become right. more aware of Native American issues. To to look into this a little bit more themselves because we can give what lift service we can, but in the end it's you know, it's about helping and getting out of the way. The Naird Native American Rights Fund, NARF for short. Uh NARF? They, yeah, NARF. Eh, they say that they've been fighting for fifty years for native rights. Uh, and their website says, NARF has achieved great progress for Indian country in such critical areas as tribal sovereignty, treaty rights, natural resource protection, voting rights, and Indian education. Nice. So, so they, they have a list of what we do, and then you click on each thing, and it shows all the things they've done, even just recently. Oh, wow. And it's a lot of stuff. So they preserve tribal existence. Tribes have to kind of battle with the federal government to be recognized as tribes mm -hmm. so that they can get certain benefits. So in 2019, after a hundred years of battling the federal government, they finally got the Little Shell tribe of Chippewa Indians of Montana re legislatively recognized by Congress. So they also work to protect t tribal natural resources. They protested the Keystone XL pipeline. And on June 9th, I don't know if you heard this, but on June 9th of this year, so mm -hmm. just a few weeks ago, uh, that was terminated. The Keystone hey. XL pipeline. In a, rare, in a rare win. They promote Native American human rights, such as making sure that the tribal, of the tribal governance over their education. They hold governments accountable to Native Americans. There's all these trust funds that the US government is in control of for Native American tribes and individuals, but they've really mismanaged those funds through the years. NARF has represented 35 tribes that have reached settlement agreements now with the federal government. 20 more tribes have ongoing settlement negotiations. They've been holding the federal government accountable for years of mismanagement. They develop Indian law. Uh, so they play a key role in developing a body of federal law and natural resources, human rights, and the accountability of governments to native people. Also, NARF in 1972 <laughs> founded the National Indian Law Library to serve the research needs of NARF attorneys, but NIL's resources are also available to the public, a unique and valuable collection of federal Indian and tribal law materials. 
specialized legal research assistance, and online bulletins to keep advocates aware of the latest legal developments and most recent news in Indian law. So that's just one website you can go to and there's a lot of things you can educate yourself about and donate to and help with. I don't know how much we're going to talk about the Keystone XL pipeline, but even the name makes me so uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Keystone Big and Tall, please. <laughs> All right. So I wanted to talk about the Center for World Indigenous Studies, founded in 1979. Basically, it's a think tank for activist scholars uh, in a kind of a global community way. So anyone who's a uh, scholar or activist of Indigenous Studies and who wants to advance the rights and knowledge of indigenous people, which is important because it's it's going to take a lot of uh, scholars and philosophers and lawyers to do a little work in uh, in getting back the the kind of rights and power there. So they have over twenty seven laws and regulations that they've drafted. Uh, over thirty five hundred students mentored and educated. Over four thousand original tribal documents digitized, and over seven thousand individuals receiving uh, medicine. I wouldn't have thought of half those things. And digitizing documents is the coolest thing because there's so much that we can lose through the genocide of these peoples. So that's a lot of good work if you want something scholarly to look at. But do you they, have any do, they do have a website. All they do have a website. All, all of these, these have organizations a have amazing websites that you can easily go around and navigate. So if you're interested in the Cultural Survival Mission, Cultural Survivor advocates for indigenous peoples' rights and supports indigenous communities' self-determination, cultures, and political resistance since 1992. I did not write that. They did. (laughs) Even though it sounds as eloquent as heck coming out of my mouth. (laughs) So the Cultural Survival Mission lists their vision thusly. Cultural survival envisions a future that respects and honors indigenous peoples inherent rights and dynamic cultures deeply and richly interwoven in lands languages spiritual traditions and artistic expression rooted in self-determination and self-governance once again i didn't write that i couldn't have (laughs) they say there are 476.6 million indigenous people belonging to the 5,000 different groups in 90 countries speaking 4,000 languages And that indigenous communities have resisted discriminatory colonial powers, extractive industries, and corporate greed with tremendous resilience, courage, and skill. But their protests are too often ignored by governments and corporations. I've got the Indigenous Environment Network. IEN is an alliance of indigenous peoples whose shared mission is to protect the sacredness of Earth Mother from contamination and exploitation by respecting and adhering to indigenous knowledge and natural law. So these are three great organizations that you can look up, as well as uh, what Hope mentioned. Give it a give it a, give it a little research. It's worth it. It's easy to sit and criticize or laugh at Nancy Drew, but in many ways we've come no further than this. Thanks for tuning in to another River Heights Radio Minisode. I'm Carl. And I'm Hope. Until next time, go, go Wildcats. Wildcats.